Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Good morning. Well, it is that uh, it is that very very awkward time of the year where um, I end up doing a lot of weddings, and because I end up doing a lot of weddings, uh, we will preach through the Song of Solomon. Um, becomes that very that very weird part of the year or every couple of years to where we attack some stuff that the world isn't scared to talk about but when it comes to the church the church is kind of like we don't know how the nursery got filled (laughs) we don't have a clue what happened it was probably not good but whatever happened and now we let's just pay attention to, to the word of the lord that's kind of it's kind of how the church uh, comes to it. Our commitment is to face some of this stuff um, because there's nothing really worse than being the kid on the playground that doesn't know the answers, you know? And when the world is talking about stuff and we don't have a good response, it's kind of like, so why don't you do this? Uh, Jesus, Jesus said I shouldn't do it. Jesus doesn't sound fun. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, you know? And there's got to be better answers than that. There's got to be reasons for the things that he has said. So let's pray, and we will uh, we'll jump into it. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for, your, for your word uh, that we have. Um, your word says that everything we need for salvation and for righteousness and for holiness, uh, you have given us inside the scripture. But we assume that means for marriage and for relationships for intimacy and all of the great things and problematic things that can come with that. So we ask that you will speak to us today, uh, open our hearts and our ears so that we might be able to apply some of the things that your word says today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This begins, let me, uh, let me begin by, by reading this. Um, first, few, first few verses. Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, chapter 1. The beloved, she is speaking. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She says, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. There's three characters involved in this. There is the beloved. Um... There is the friends, and then there is the lover. The friends are kind of the audience. Um, sometimes they're her girlfriends, and she's like, oh, you go, girl. Like, it's that group, you know? And then sometimes it's the other side, you know, who are asking questions and kind of um, tossing out thoughts and, and, and kind of reassuring. And then there is the man. Now, this is written by Solomon. Um, wisest man to ever live. Uh, it's written kind of like a play. And so there's some things and some room to interpret. But the words are important. 
She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. What's interesting about this first part is that she doesn't say, oh, he looks good. That's not what she says. She doesn't say, he's so handsome. What she says is, I like the way he smells. It's funny because the word here that's used for perfume is not the word perfume like cologne. It's like the word for, you know, when somebody you love has worn a t-shirt and then you pick up that t-shirt and you smell that t-shirt and something happens inside your brain or he's gone out of town for a long time and so you put his t-shirt on or she's out of town and you smell something or you smell her perfume and it makes you think of her or you walk in somewhere and you smell something that reminds you of somebody else that, that from, from long ago. And what she says is, I just like the way you smell. Here's what else she says. And your character is good too. Pardon the expression, but she doesn't say ring. <laughs> I won't say it. I'll leave it alone. She, she doesn't go on about how beautiful or how handsome or how good-looking he is. What she talks about is that he is a man of character. He's a man of character. What's the response to that? She says, take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And all the girlfriends who are nearby says, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. And then she comes back and she says, oh, yeah, you're right, girlfriend. How right they are to adore you. And then something weird happens. This lady goes to the place that many ladies go. Dark am I yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tent curtains of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. And what she begins to do is she begins to look at her own physical features. This is a weird, weird thing. She says what I love about him is his character. What I hate about me is something physical. Now, isn't that the truth? My wife does not care if I weigh 495 pounds. She wouldn't care. It would not make one single bit of difference to her, so long as I continue to be funny. <laughs> That's all she cares about. If I continue to be funny and I am sweet, that's all she got. She does not care what I look like. All she cares about is that you continue to be funny, that you continue to be easygoing, and that life is good with you. But we never internalize that back on ourselves that same way. The things I love about her are not just the physical things. It's the way that she's a mother. That's super important. It's her humor as well that I really appreciate. It's the fact that she knows that there's something wrong with me inside of my brain, and yet she continues to pretend like I have it all together. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. But ladies oftentimes go to that place of, I love him because of his character, but I hate my own body. It's such a strange thing. And what she does is the very same thing. She loves his character, but to her it's, look at me. Look at me. In this time and in this place, to have tan skin 
Maybe that you must have been a laborer, that you must have been somebody who had to work all the time. The idea, the goal was, like the Orient, the lighter pale you are, the lighter skin colored you are, the more pale you are, that means you must be of noble standing. And she says to this man, don't stare at me. Like I'm darkened by the sun. And it's very interesting. She says, in, uh, look at the next part. Um, verse 6, do not stare at me because I am dark. Because I am darkened by the sun. I love the distance she puts here between her and her brothers. My mother's sons, you know, it's the distance. He's not my brothers. My mother's sons, those idiots, they were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. But my own vineyard, that's a nice, it's uh, a nice, uh, um, what's the word? Uh, literary, uh, literary device, sorry. It's a nice literary device right there. My brothers made me work in the vineyard, and now because of that, now my own vineyard needs work. And by her own vineyard, she obviously means herself. So stop staring at me. And I love, I love this whole deal because what you kind of see is Solomon rides up on a horse, and he's gawking. Like he's sitting there, and he's looking. This is his field. Like he owns the place. He owns everything. He's Solomon. He's the king. And he sees her, and he's like, wow. Like not only is she a workhorse, but she's beautiful. And then she stops, and she kind of looks at him, and she's like, what? And he's like, no one talks to the king like that. I love her. Like, she's so awesome, you know? And she says, what are you gawking at? What do you think? Stop staring at me. Look at me. I'm an absolute disaster. Turn around. Mind your own business. Don't worry about it. My brothers make me be out here anyway. It's not like I signed up for this. No one talks to the king like she's talking to the king. And there's got to be this fascination of, you know I'm the king. Do you know I'm the king? Look, I don't care who you are. I'm out here working. Mind your own business. That's, that's good. That's a good thing. Like, that must be somewhat of a relief to have a normal conversation and people not guarding their speech. Just going to shoot you straight. It's a wonderful thing. Then she looks at him and she says, Tell me, you whom I love, where do you graze your flocks? And where do you rest your sheep at midday? This is kind of a setup. It's kind of a setup question. <laughs> And then she says, uh, so why should I be like the veiled women beside the flocks of your friends? Prostitution was a thing that happened out in the fields. The shepherds lived out there all the time. And so he comes riding up. She must assume he's a shepherd. Maybe she knows he's the king. I don't know. But then she says, where are you grazing your flocks? And he's like, oh, right over there. And she's like, don't think I'm one of those veiled women. He's like, oh, wow, she's fired up, you know? Wow, she is super fired up. Here's what else is cool, is that she draws the line early. Listen, young people. She draws the line early about sexuality. Draws the line early. Don't think for one minute, this is what I am. Because I'm not. The sooner those lines are drawn in any relationship that you are in, the sooner those lines are drawn. Young people, talking to you. The sooner those are drawn, the less trouble you're going to have in the future. If you don't believe me, I bet I can put about five couples in front of you who will testify to say, absolutely, if you draw the line now, things will be better for you when you get married. If you want to have that, that, uh, that conversation, let me know. I'll grab some people, and I promise you, they will look you in the face and say, uh, it's, a, it's a better move. It's a better move. Draw the line early. That's not what I am. It's not what I am. 
<laughs> Here comes the girlfriends. If you don't know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherd. And the girlfriends come along. They're like, well, there's nothing wrong with chasing the boy that you like. Go chase the boy you like. Then he speaks. It should be a really smooth, like, Rico Suave voice, shouldn't it? But I don't have that. I don't. But it should be. I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. I've said this before, but probably not a line you should use at home, you know. You got a horse face, you know. <laughs> not. Doesn't really go far. But what he's saying is, is very, very impactful. Very impactful. See, Solomon was known for his wisdom, and one of the areas of his wisdom where it was just crazy was what he knew about horses. Now, there's nothing cooler to me than meeting somebody who has some weirdo obsession about some little corner of the earth, and they begin to talk about it. And they're ate up with whatever this thing is. I don't know what it is. Just ate up with it. I kind of have a thing about birds, and I kind of weird out about birds and nesting habits and migratory patterns and just weird stuff that I've kind of collected that I like. I think it's so how they eat. Did you know a barn swallow does not eat on the ground? It only eats in flight? <laughs> there you go. That's for free. You want to know more? No, I'll tell you later. But, but I'm telling you, like, but, like, that's amazing to me. And they eat their weight in mosquitoes? Like, it's something crazy like that. That's pretty awesome. Solomon has a thing like that about horses. In fact, Solomon has cities that are, that are entire horse cities. The only people who live in these cities are people who care for horses. And that's, that's the only thing that's there. Just Solomon's horses in, a, in an entire city with its own systems, its own shops, and horses, that's it. So when Solomon says, you remind me of one of the mares of Pharaoh, he probably had personally seen Pharaoh's mares himself. He had probably stood there and traded horses with Pharaoh at some point. So he knows horses. When he says, you remind me of this, he would know what he's talking about. Here's the other thing that you have to think about. One of the only other times that we know about that the scripture mentions Pharaoh's horses or Pharaoh and horses is at the Exodus. Now, you remember the Israelites come out of Egypt and Moses is leading them out and he gets them out in the middle of the desert and all of a sudden Pharaoh changes his mind and he says, I'm not going to let those people go. I'm going to go get those people. And so he goes on a rampage to chase them down. The Israelites turn and they see Pharaoh coming. Here's what the sight would have been. Pharaoh's mare, this, this white horse leading this charge, and behind him, an entire dust storm raging, uh, raging down the slope coming after the Israelites. Would have been one of the most terrifying things in the world. Here's something else. Pharaoh's mare had to be absolutely 
perfect and pristine because what they did is they took all the stallions that all the warriors rode and they took Pharaoh's mare and they ran her in front of all these stallions before they fought. And so they get these stallions all worked up in a frenzy and then they send Pharaoh's mare racing down to go attack and all of the stallions of all of these soldiers are just losing their mind chasing this mare. He says to her, that's what you remind me of. Because when I get around you, when I see you, that's kind of what happens here and here and here. That's you. It's not. There should always be a little bit of terror reserved for the relationship. Just a little bit. Because honestly, if your spouse can't hurt you, something's wrong. If your spouse does not have the, uh, the ability to hurt you, or you do not give the vulnerability for them to be able to hurt you, something's wrong. And out of the gate, Solomon says to her, uh, you kind of got me here. Because she's beautiful and scary and, and beautiful. Verse 10, your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with a string of jewels. We will make for you earrings of gold studded with silver. And she speaks, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover is to me a sacket of myrrh resting between my breasts. My lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. There's some really cool, there's some really kind of strange names in there. If you, get, if you get online later and you just take a look at Engedi, just type in Engedi. It is one of the coolest, prettiest places in the middle of the desert. It is this refreshing waterfall. And if I remember correctly, if you look it up, it's like the same waterfall in all the pictures, like different angles that people have uploaded, and it's the same waterfall, Engedi. What else is cool is this whole idea of Henna, my lover is to me a sacket of myrrh resting between my breasts. My lover is to me uh, the henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. Okay, the rabbis would say this. Henna is what you plant in the desert because it's got a great root system. And so you plant it around your garden. Here's the problem. If you're farming, if you plant a garden and the soil is real loose or sandy and you get a heavy rain, it just washes everything away. So how do you keep it all together? How do you take it and put some structure to the thing that's there? How do you, pre how do you preserve and keep it from the elements? It has to be planted uh, all the way around this garden, and all the gardens had to be planted henna. Because once it got down there, it created a root system, and then it created a barrier, and it held the garden there. And what she says is, my lover is to me, Henna blossom from the vineyard of Engedi. He holds my world together. He holds my world together. He says to her, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. She says, Oh, how handsome you are, my lover. And oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant, green, or growing. 
And he says, the beams of our house are cedars and our rafters are firs. You're beautiful. No, you're beautiful. No, I put the sheetrock up. <laughs> a minute ago, she says he's charming. Now he's like, and a lug nut, you know. <laughs> what in the world is this guy talking about? Oh, how handsome you are, my lover, and oh, how charming, and our bed is verdant. She says, our bed, our relationship is growing, it's green, it's new, and he says, the beams of our house are cedars, and I put them there myself. What are you talking about? The beams of our house are cedars, and our rafters are firs. What he's saying is, I did this for me. Imagine what I do for you. I built this. Do you feel secure? Should. I'm here for the long run. I'm in this deal. You don't have to worry. Let me tell you ladies something. If you can't keep a job, you might not keep him. I know it sounds cold, doesn't it? If you can't work like a man works, might not be a man. Might be a kid. Might be a really great kid. Might be a really fun kid. But if he's 30, we've kind of got past the fun, don't you think? Solomon says, I did this. I built this. Like, I'm in this deal for real. Like, I'm a hard worker, and I don't want you to think I'm not. She turns around and she says, oh, yeah? Well, I'm the Rose of Sharon, and I'm the Lily of the Valley. Okay. So you hung the sheetrock, and now you're a flower. This is... No, because her response is just as creative and just as intense as his is. He says, look at this. I built all this. And I want you to know, like the cedars, these are the cedars of Lebanon. You have to go get them. And they're huge. And I did. And I built this. You can count on me. And she said, well, I'm not just a pretty face. I'm the Rose of Sharon. You know what grows in the desert? Nothing. Not much. But there is a flower that does grow in the desert. And it's beautiful. And you know, it endures the heat. And it endures the cold at night. And it's a tough, tough plant. It's the Rose of Sharon. And she says, you did all this yourself? Wow, that must have taken some time. You must be a really tough guy. You know, I'm tough too. I'm the Rose of Sharon. And I'm the Lily of the Valley. So in the valley... It gets really cold. Everything will freeze over in the valley. The lily doesn't. Why? I don't know. But it doesn't. And she says, I'm not just another pretty face. I'm tough. I can hang in there. Even if it wasn't in this big palace, I could make it. I could hang. Because I'm tough too. 
and the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. He finishes her sentence, which this is gross, really. This is just, this is that disgusting Jerry Maguire scene in the elevator with the, you know, you know, the whole you can, whatever. They just finish each other's sentence. This is gooey. It's gooey and gross. It's that, it's that weird, <laughs> so funny. I'm the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, a lily among thorns, he says. All the other ladies are thorns compared to you. You're a lily among thorns. What a great complimenter. He's so quick. And then she says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall and his banner over me is love. My lover is to me like an apple tree among the trees of the forest. Protection, provision. Protection, provision, continues to be there, continues to provide. But not just provide as in provide apples for taste. Also, she says, shade. He provides a place for me to rest. You know, for a long time, I didn't do a very good job of that at my house. I'm kind of a manic individual. I don't know if you know that or caught on to that. But I do kind of have a little bit of that always kind of, <laughs> kind of hell-bent with this, you know, kind of a manic thing. And for a lot of years, that's, that's the way I operated at home. I could yell and scream. I could have a nervous breakdown. I could be depressed. I could be excited all over the spectrum. One of my favorite lines is this. I had more shades of blue than the paint kiosk at Home Depot. That's kind of where I've lived in my life. What I realized is that in being that way, I nearly broke the single greatest gift that God ever gave me, my wife. Because she wasn't built for that. She wasn't built for me to just come home and, and, and just spew all of my hate and discontent onto her. Now, see, here's what guys do. And guys, now, healthy guys don't do this. I mean, healthy guys don't do this. But I think most men do this thing. Men don't want to have people in their life. And so when there is something that goes wrong, what we tend to do is we come home and we, we throw it all on our spouse. We don't say the awkward thing to the guy who we need to say it to or to the boss or to the other person or handle the situation. We come home and we spew our garbage onto our spouse. Ladies, it's the same with you. You do the same thing. You've got this thing that's going on and it's just eating you up inside, but you won't call any friends. You won't go talk to anybody. You just keep it buried. You won't dime out your husband because he's being an idiot. We begin to make excuses all the time for our spouse. Well, here's the problem here. At the end of the day, here's what it comes down to. As men, at least men, ladies, I can't speak to this for you, but men, this lady here says, he provides shade for me. Rest for me. What is supposed to happen is this. I find the guys in my life who I love and who I care about and who say they love and care about me, and I say to them, here's the problem with Jared. He's stuck in this place. He's operating this way. He's got a terrible attitude. 
I, I don't like my wife today. Is it Thursday? It's th- I don't like her today. I don't like this. My kids, are, for whatever reason, are so good all the time. But today they're annoying. And so I find all this stuff and I give it to them. And then I walk away. And I go back into my life and I love the people that I promised I was going to love. And the guys on the other side who endure this and hear this, they think to themselves, that's just like my life. That's exactly what's going on at my house. I feel the same. You know what? I've never said that before, but that's true. Kids are very annoying. I never, I didn't think you could say that and still go to heaven. But that's true. That's true. I appreciate that. That's a good point. And we walk away. And I'm better when I get home. Because that's what those relationships are for. Our job as husbands is to provide shade. See, some of us provide clouds, but not shade. Oh, we'll roll in like a thunderstorm in all of our anger and and all of our fury. And we will light up the sky with all of our electric bad attitude. But do we provide shade? That's our responsibility. Let's look at the next part. She says, I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall and his banner over me is love. And then she says this, what's her response to this man who provides for her and protects her and takes care of her heart and takes care of her feelings and gives her her a place to rest? What's her response? Check this out. This is is key. She says, strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples for I am faint with love. Yes, it means exactly what you think it means. Her response to him caring for her heart is a physical response to him. Ladies, is that true? If a man protects your heart and cares for your heart, is there not a physical response to that? Is this not a good man? Of course it is. She says, strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. It is the literal, lovesick. I am lovesick. Ah, it's like, this is what it takes me back. And you have to just excuse me. It takes me back. Seventh, eighth grade, the girls would wear our football jerseys and they would spray exclamation cologne all over them. (laughs) And you would get it back and you'd be in the locker room and you'd put it on You'd be standing there and all the guys would be standing over there going, like, are you ready for this game? The guy's like, yeah, yeah. I'm ready for after the game, you know? Looking forward to the dance, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Between plays, you know? Oh, yeah, great run. We made 25 yards. Yeah, good job. Everybody gets back to the huddle. That's all. All right, what are we doing next? All right, we're going to do a 23 dive, a 23 dive on two, on two. It's like, oh, this is lovesick, lovesick. She says, I'm lovesick for this guy. His left arm, his left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. She draws the line again. We can't cross the line. Listen, are you listening, young people? Listen, 
don't cross the line. Don't do it. Don't cross the line. Have a line. Put a line in place. Don't cross the line. Don't cross it. There will be plenty of time for you to cross the line. Don't cross it. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how that relationship's going to work out. You don't know. You don't know how that person is going to change in the future. You don't know how that decision will change the rest of your life. You don't know. There's too many unknowns. Don't cross the line. Scripture says that marriage must be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Don't cross the line. Draw the line and don't cross the line. There is a purity to your heart that is tied to your physicality, to your body. And this purity that is in your heart is also the purity that allows you to be able to hear God. Suffer the little children, let them come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. There is a purity there, this unknowing thing, that when you are in that place, you are closer to God than ever before. If you begin to muddy up the water, you will not be able to hear him speak. You will not be able to hear him speak. Don't muddy up the water. You don't know where that relationship will go. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. She draws the line. She says, no, 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 no. And if you notice, his right arm, or his left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. Can I ask you a question? Is this hand under my head, yes or no? Hmm? Where is it? It's behind how would I get this hand under my head? You're looking at me like, you know the answer. I don't want to say it. <laughs> I would have to lay down, wouldn't I? And they're in this spot. And she says, whoa, 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 whoa. Do not arouse her waking love until it so desires. It's not time. It's not time. Um... Verse 8. Now we better stop. We better stop. Let's pray. We'll jump back on this next week. Uh, you might want to let some people know this is what we're talking about. I imagine this be a pretty, pretty, pretty packed series. So let's pray and we'll go. God, we love you. We thank you for your word, how it impacts our life, how it, how it moves us and how it shapes us. Lord, we ask that you will uh, protect our hearts. Uh, Lord, guard us and, and guide us in our relationships so that we can know how to be gentle and how to handle one another and how to be peaceful. Lord, we thank you so much for everything you've done. Thank you so much for Solomon's wisdom and the wisdom to write down his thoughts on this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful afternoon.